Ladies and gentlemen, this is your places call. All right, everybody, back to one. Stand by lights one and sound one. Camera speeding. Audio speeding. Lights and sound. Go. And action. What's up, PWRP listeners? Welcome back to another episode. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Stephanie. What's up? What's up? What's up? My name is Tyler. What's up? Wow. I regret that almost immediately. <laughs> yeah, you should regret that. <laughs> Been watching a lot of 90s uh, Def Jam um, MTV shows, so. And and next. <laughs> no, that was so cool. Oh, man. I, I was just saying to Tyler on, because um, we have Paramount Plus right now as a trial and they have Nickelodeon and I was so excited that like the old school shows like Salute Your Shorts and Dude Ranch are on there, but I didn't watch them because I was so concerned that they were going to be bad and I would, I'd have to ruin great childhood memories. <laughs> You're going to have to take that leap because most of the time it's but, half and half. <laughs> um, but here we are back yeah. for another episode um, and how do we have this week? Yes. Uh, so this week we have... Someone who is a, uh, a writer, a creative, a podcast host, and an actor. We have Michael McMillan on for the show, and he's known for uh, mainly True Blood. He had a few spots in Perry Mason this last year. Uh, he's written for Robot Chicken, but he's really known for Bigfoot Collectors Club, his supernatural paranormal podcast that uh, I'm actually, I'm donning the shirt for the interview. Uh, it's just, it's an awesome podcast. If you like paranormal stuff, like I do, if you've been haunted, like I have, you need to <laughs> listen to this podcast. It's so awesome. But he was, uh, he was amazing to have on the show. Yeah. Just a very yeah, open person, right? Um, I would like to get him back at some point. If we have a Halloween episode, he'd be great Ooh. to bring on. We could share some spooky yeah. Halloween celebrity stories. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know what else to say outside of I had a blast and I don't want to go to work now. Uh, but without further ado... <laughs> Here is Michael McMillan. Michael McMillan, man, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. It's uh, it's a cozy Sunday morning here in Los Angeles. <laughs> I went to my first movie last night in a theater, which oh, was which one? a blast. I went and saw Black Widow. I'm a big... Oh, how was it? I loved it. It was... um. It it was great. It was like uh, I thought. I thought they did a great job. Um, it's very funny. It's action packed, and Florence Pugh is oh, a yeah. star. As far as I'm concerned, she kind of. <laughs> I thought she stole the movie. Um, I'm a big Midsummer fan as well. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Midsummer. Oh yeah, will not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a brutal. It's a brutal it's movie. But uh, I, I like watch it. I, I was just. I've, I've like watched it a few times since it came out. I think now it's like mandatory summer viewing for me. But oh, really? So, yeah, she's so good. She's so good in that movie, and she's really, really fun in this. So I'm glad she's like in the Marvel Cinematic Universe now. Yeah, she's going to kill awesome. it. We uh, we haven't seen it yet. We just, uh, it was last Tuesday, we went to Alamo Drafthouse and saw F9 in the big Dolby Theater and just laughed for a good two and a half hours. It was amazing. <laughs> That's that's where I saw Black Widow. I haven't seen F9 yet, but I'm so glad wow. we have an Alamo draft house here in L.A. We there was yeah. one. I, I'm from Kansas City and uh, they had one downtown in Kansas City for a number of years. And that's when I would go home. My family and friends, we'd all go see movies there because, you know, if, for those of you listening, if you don't have an Alamo draft house in your town, it's great because it's run by cinephiles. 
<laughs> and they'll show like current movies and then like old school movies mm-hmm. you know we went to like in kansas city they had like a predator viewing where they gave us cap guns and like <laughs> camo makeup and and uh like i think like headbands to wear and every time like the predator showed up people would just be shooting cap guns at the screen that's amazing <laughs> yeah did a couple fourth of july uh jaws viewings there but uh it's such oh, no a fun fun way to see movies and i'm bummed because the kc one did not uh survive covid Ugh. really a huge bummer that huge sucks. huge bummer um so but i'm happy that we have one here in in, in downtown la i i'm hoping they bring one up to hollywood because it's uh you know it's much less of a hassle yeah I they like- should yeah, I could walk to the arc light, which was the best. And now I don't have a movie theater anywhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, dad. Oh. Well, I'm just glad to hear you didn't buy Black Widow through Disney Plus premiere and watch it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So maybe maybe if it was six months ago, I, I probably would right. have. But, uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm vaccinated. I'm back out. I'm getting back out. There was it was good to be at the movies again. Yeah, it's it's an incredible feeling that I think uh, I'm hoping more people grow accustomed to, you know, as the as the weeks go on, starting with F9, then Black Widow, and then whatever else is coming out. Yeah, that's kind of our summer weeks. movies right there. I feel <laughs> yeah, like. like I don't know, <laughs> August or September. Yeah. That's when we have some more. Suicide um, Squad. I want to see the new James oh, yeah. Gunn Suicide Squad. Yeah. Oh, and the Green Knight. Good. I want to see the Green Knight by A24. Yes, that's, that's finally that's coming awesome. out. Isn't that next month? Yeah, uh, it's this month. Is it this month? July. Yeah. Oh shit! Sorry. This Seth. is uh, this concludes the. What are you going to see in the theaters portion? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right, I'm going to go back to my notes here. Uh, I got really excited. I didn't even know that was this month. Uh, anyway, so uh, Michael, it's awesome to have you on the show, coming as both a fan and as admirer of the podcast that you run, Bigfoot Collectors Club. Um, but if you wouldn't mind telling our listeners, man, uh, who you are and what you do. Uh, hi, listeners. I'm Michael McMillan. I'm an actor. You may have seen me in shows like uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend or True Blood or guest starring in all of the NCIS uh, franchise <laughs> shows. I show up as some occasionally show up as some dork who does something wrong and gets in trouble. Um, and then I have a so I'm an actor. Uh, I'm also a writer, sort of part time writer and then a uh, podcaster. I do a podcast called Bigfoot Collectors Club with another actor buddy of mine, Bryce Johnson and our on mic producer Riley Bray. And each week we have uh, guests on who talk about paranormal things that might have happened to them or weird stories they can't explain. And then we dive into the annals of history and share stories of high strangeness, things like the Roswell incident or the history of the Yeti, um, stuff like that. So if you're if it if it has ever been a subject on the X Files, we will cover it pretty much on Bigfoot Collectors Club. I like that. That's a good way to <laughs> pretty much. I, it was something I was always a fan of the paranormal and supernatural. I grew up. I mean, I grew up. I was a teenager in the '90s when X Files was huge. Um, and my, my, you know, my best friend and I were always into like alien abduction stuff. And there were shows like sightings and unsolved mysteries, the original one. Uh, and I'd always get excited whenever there was like a ghost story or a UFO story on one of those. 
and grew up listening to Coast to Coast AM, which was a midnight, you know, radio show where a lot now it's it's the vibe has changed a little bit. But back in the day when Art Bell was the host, there would always be people calling in with paranormal stuff. And uh, Bryce Johnson's also into this. We discovered this while working on an episode of Major Crimes together, guest starring <laughs> uh, and standing around two actors standing around craft service eating sandwiches and shooting the breeze and he had just done a movie called willow creek directed by bobcat goldthwaite which i had just watched that coincidentally or as we call it now doing the podcast uh, it was a synchronicity that i had just watched this movie and then immediately worked with bryce um but he was terrific in that movie and they got us talking about like so do you are you into this stuff and bryce was like oh yeah man I, i'm like all about bigfoot and started talking about the interdimensional Bigfoot theory, which, you know, turns <laughs> off a lot of people. Like, first you bring up Bigfoot and a lot of people leave the conversation. Then you bring up interdimensional Bigfoot and then there's just two of you standing there. <laughs> um, but this, so we would get together and talk and complain about being actors and talk about, you know, auditioning and stuff. And then inevitably our lunch conversations would always turn back to, towards the paranormal. And I'd been looking to... I'd been wanting to do a podcast for a number of years. I tried a couple things that never, that I never released. Um, and then eventually I was like, wow, you know, let's just do a paranormal podcast because I was a fan of that stuff. Coast to coast. I was starting to outgrow coast to coast AM. And I just wanted to do a fun version of a paranormal show where we get to chat with actors and comedians and writers and creative people and then, you know, basically, basically it just boils down to like discussing the nature of reality with a group of friends, you know, that's kind of what it boils down to. Uh, so we've been doing that for four and a half years yeah. now, I think. I can't remember. Three and a half years. I don't know. We started in 2017 and we're still going. So that's. Do you that's feel like you have just garnered more proof over the, the four years that certain things exist or is it like based on all of the different people you've spoken with um i mean we've decided i think we've all came to a general consent consensus that that uh ghosts definitely exist <laughs> we we were like okay ghosts are real we don't know if they are souls of the dead wandering this plane of reality or if there's some sort of like time loop feedback from the past or the future uh, but there's enough stuff there. There's enough there, there. And a lot of our guests will come on with a, I mean, we, we have talked to people who have seen full formed apparitions in their apartments and, you know, like people sitting in chairs with clothing on, and then they're staring at them for 30 seconds and they disappear or like shadow figures that step out from behind a doorway and they walk through the room and they're seeing, you know, so there's something, whatever that is exists mm -hmm. whatever that phenomena is is a real thing what what exactly it is is we don't know and i don't know if we'll ever know and i think now we're figuring that out with ufos as well obviously mm. that's been a big thing in the news lately uh the military the pentagon are finally admitting okay there are things flying around out there that, that we don't know what they are you know doesn't mean that they're not some other explainable earthly thing but we tend to, the more we get into these stories, realize that like reality is a lot weirder than we know. And I think, you know, we still have so many scientific breakthroughs 
that need to take place that will explain some of these things. But I, but I don't think that they're going to get any less weird as we explain them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. um, so I think there is, you know, a scientific explanation for all this stuff, which is why we tend to joke about the interdimensional stuff, you know, because <laughs> it probably, I don't know, we could, this is, this is your, I could go down a hole. <laughs> this is the point where people this start just walking an away. extra episode. What are of you guys going? Wait a minute, guys, come back. Tyler, Stephanie, what, what's happening? <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I, I don't know, I guess to answer the question, it feels more real. The, the more the stuff feels like there's it's more possible and more real. But then the explanation of what it is, I feel, is even weirder and weirder and weirder mm, as we go mm -hmm. along, that there isn't necessarily conventional explanation for this. Right. Stuff. I just saw a thing I was scrolling on Instagram and I just saw some fact toyed about how some one of the moons on Saturn is like most likely to have alien life because it's basically all water and whatnot. And it just made me go. I mean, even if it's, if that's true or the, and the aliens are out there, how do like alien doesn't necessarily mean some guy that it could just be like some <laughs> random itty bitty tadpole creature thing right. that, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's space tadpoles out there. Yeah. You know, <laughs> building ships. It's true, but they will exactly. grow into space frogmen that do, do like yes. to invade planets. So we yes. keep our eye on that. <laughs> As a matter of stuff, you don't think there's some very intimate, like sensual octopus galactic empire just waiting. <laughs> I like waiting. that. <laughs> it's, Honestly, uh... <laughs> if, yeah, if there is life out there, I feel like they're all avoiding Earth as much as possible. <laughs> well, we are we are in a like part of the galaxy that's like a, a backwater. It's we are we do basically live in the sticks of yeah. the galaxy. We are sort of more separate than a lot of other planetary systems that, that that they've discovered exoplanets and stuff so they might just be like these rednecks we do not yeah, want to exactly. get involved with them we'll we'll drive by we'll pick up a couple and take a look at their insides but we're not we really don't yeah. want to get involved we're the florida them. of the galaxy yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. like i know we need hydrogen but we can hop onto the next galaxy and still yeah. make it we're fine let's just let's go pick up all of our water at titan let's do that <laughs> Stop at the yeah we're we're like the 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 Tallahassee like truck stop. <laughs> like eh, let's go one more exit. <laughs> like there's a ditch a couple miles up. I think we can use that. Yeah, it, I've always wanted to know like you know because you're obviously an actor as well. Did was your uh, interest in the paranormal you know at a, probably a relatively younger age did that have anything to do with you getting into the arts as well? Like just that that open-mindedness and, and being open to a lot of different experiences. Do you think that led you to becoming an actor or what were the circumstances? Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. I don't think it necessarily led me to being an actor, but, I, but now that you ask the question, I do think that the open-mindedness thing does sort of fork into yeah. both um, acting and writing and, you know, and the paranormal and the podcast podcast because really what it comes down to and i'm not always successful at this because obviously it's very easy to tease people that have these strange experiences and what we try to do on the show is destigmatize that aspect of it and and so there's a part of 
hearing these stories and taking your judgmental brain out of it and and stopping at well this guy's obviously fucking nuts oh i don't know if we can uh swear on here by the that's way that's okay oh, yeah you're good um and, <laughs> and that's going, from the east coast <laughs> okay great and then going uh well hold on now this whatever happened to them seems really real to them so let's remove our judgment and try to take this story at face value um and and there are times because Obviously, the field of the paranormal and supernatural has a history of hoaxes and hucksters and people taking advantage of of these things to to make money. But I feel like those tend to jump out and those tend to get exposed rather quickly. Yeah. And, and, and in those cases, all bets are off, fire away at those people, you know, joke joke wise or making fun wise because they're trying to take advantage of individuals. But there are just so many stories of people guests that we've had on the show and then people that we've researched where you're like, well, something, something is happening here and it's real to these people. So it does force you to keep an open mind. And I think in acting that that sort of relates to a lesson that, you know, I was taught in theater school, which is don't never judge a character. You know, even if you're playing the bad guy, don't look at, don't think I'm playing the bad guy. That's when you get into like mustache twirling melodrama, approach the character as if they believe they're the good guy, as they believe they're doing something of value because that that's how real life is, mm -hmm. right? You know, um, nobody thinks they're the bad guy of their own story. Um, and often when they realize that, or if you realize you've been making mistakes or creating, you know, some sort of destruction, in your life you and realize that it's a really horrifying and, and emotional thing um you know all this stuff i'm saying isn't original but i do i do like that um idea of the open-mindedness allowing you to access these things i guess or, or stay stay open to to this stuff yeah i mean you've played uh you know a plethora of different characters ranging from you know true blood to the to the uh, I think you're on two episodes of Perry Mason, you know, just, just going mm -hmm. through, um, you know, each skin of a character. And I, I also wanted to ask you, like, what's your, what's your process for preparing for a role? Are you somebody that sits back and, you know, do you go full Daniel Day Lewis and just live in that body for, you know, four to six weeks beforehand, or do you rehearse your lines, you go in and, you know, you just, you, you make the best fit and kind of let it come to you. I, I got, I, I don't know when I <laughs> look, Daniel Day Lewis can do whatever he wants, but that I, 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 I would go insane if I did that. I also think the whole method thing is a little much, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Now I could, I could see if I had to do a project where I had to speak in a foreign accent or, you know, an English dialect or something, I could see me being the actor. That's like, I'm going to, be talking in this accent the entire time I'm on set or weeks leading up to it just so I can practice it. And I'm, I know how annoying that would be. I've never really had to do that. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of like an English or Irish or yeah. something like that. Um, fortunately, I don't know if you guys noticed, there's a plethora of English and Irish and Australian actors that are more than, <laughs> more than capable of, of playing Americans or where, wherever they came from. So uh, it's very rare they're asking Americans to do other actions. We're not as good at it. Uh, but I could see something like that, just things that you had to practice or if you had a physicality thing that you had to work with. 
But in terms of like staying in character, like all the time that, that I, I would go crazy. You know, I need the, I need to have fun on a set. I need to, sometimes I've had to like pull it back a little bit because I'm realizing like, oh, I might be a little bit of annoying class clown right now, but like, I like joking around on set. I like hanging out with actors in between takes and, you know, shooting the breeze and doing bits and stuff like that. And I find that a lot of that is where you find chemistry with your fellow castmates is getting to hang out with them as peers and then bringing that energy back into the scene, you know? Um, And I think that's really hard to do if you're sort of like sitting quietly away from everybody and being, you know, Billy the Butcher for an entire, like... (laughs) Which, but, but I mean, there's obviously, look, there's, there is no pun intended, but there's a method to the madness. I, like, but I think it takes a really special actor, somebody like Daniel Day Lewis, who can yeah. pull, pull that off, you know? Mm-hmm. And if that's his method, great. Uh, obviously, he's a genius. I will never be the level of an actor as he is. <laughs> but I just personally, I can't, I, I, I just work with the text to answer your question. Like, I go back to uh, the vote method, victory, obstacle, tactic, expectation, which is what I learned in theater school. And just anal- everything's on the- everything you need should be in the text. Like you just, I break down the text and go, okay, why am I saying this? And this character is saying this. And what do I want? What is in my way of getting what I want? What am I, what am I gonna, what tactics am I gonna use to get what I want? And then what are, what's my expectation? for uh if i win if i win if i get the thing that i want then what you know and sometimes that's not really obvious in a scene sometimes i'll get in this is how i approach auditions as well and you'll go i don't know i'm just like a ticket taker at a toll booth i don't know you know what i mean but you can you can you can unlock all of that stuff even in the smallest scenes you know and it gives you a place where you can start to make a choice and come in with choices, whether you're in an audition or showing up on set to, to play a scene, you start with those choices. And then, you know, half the time a director will go, great. Okay. Uh, I liked that. We got that. Or I like that, but I see things a little bit differently. And then they ask you to like flip something or totally change something. And you have to be flexible in that moment to be, okay, great. I'm going to let go of all those choices I just made. But now that I feel like I have an understanding of like what's happening with this character, I can justify um, giving, giving the director what they want. And sometimes, even if you can't justify it, you just have to commit and do it and be like, okay, they want me to do this scene laughing. This is not what I thought I was going to be doing. But I have learned that the more you just let go and go in the direction that the director wants, the more successful you are at 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 you know nailing the scene i guess i don't know but that's really interesting i mean you mentioned theater school but um you know i'm i'm the theater half of this duo tyler's all into film and stuff and and uh so much of the first initial week of rehearsal for a show is doing table work and talking about the characters and developing them together and whatnot and i always get the sense that that's not really something that happens um on set or you know when you're when you're filming a show you might have a couple days but like you kind of jump right in um and so I'm I'm curious like how often 
are you kind of making making decisions on the spot and then like have you ever I guess my my real question is have you ever filmed a scene multiple different ways so that they can kind of figure it out later or is it just no try it this way and that's what we're going to go with um it depends but I try to with each take if I feel like they got a take and I was like okay they I know for a fact they have like my version of like what I brought in and what I think is happening and I felt good about it um then I will switch it up from take to take uh, in fact um one of the best actors I ever worked with that I saw do this was Ryan Quantin from True Blood mm -hmm. who played Jason Stackhouse on the show he would every single take we would do. I mean, this guy, I, I, I love Ryan. He's one of the best actors I've ever worked with. And every single take, excuse me, I'm like about to burp from drinking, chugging coffee. I apologize. It's <laughs> disgusting. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, sorry, Ryan. Um, he would, he would like, we would do, play a scene and I could see in between each take, he would, like I'd see the computer running and then he would just come out with a different version of it. Sometimes it would just be like a mood or a, an approach or sometimes he'd play it really seriously. Sometimes he'd play, you know, this all sounds very generalized because all of his choices were actually very, very specific. And then I would react differently each time or I started to go, okay, he likes to switch it up. This is really cool. So I'll start doing that and, and throwing the ball at him in a little bit of a different way. And he would always pick up on that. And then sometimes we'd go, oh, I really like this. Let's go further with that on this next take. Let's try, let's try this, you know? So I, part of me, I think that's just to keep it fresh and fun. Um, and then part of it is also to give the editors variety, give the director variety. And you're never going... It's never like you're driving the car off the cliff and doing something that's like so anathema to the scene at hand. It's just exploring all the variety of ways, all the different tactics, all the different things that you can try to use in a scene for your for your character to get what they get what they want, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I think often on, you know, and that stuff that you try in theater, you try all that stuff in rehearsals. And then I think you tend to, the company tends to lock in on a version of it. Um, but keeping it fresh is important. I think that's also why you hear a lot of, you know, long running plays like the actors, you hear stories of actors like playing little inside games and stuff with each mm -hmm. other because um, things get a little stale when they're consistent. The fun thing about film is you're sort of filming the rehearsal, right? So you yeah. get to try all those little things and then talk with your director and go, did that work? I don't know if that worked. I was going for this, you know, uh, sorry, sorry. I tried that, It was, you know, let's let's do another take or whatever. Um, so it's a different process, but film, film do, does, I think, apply you to be a little bit more uh, improvisational and, and on the fly with, with some of this stuff. But, but mm -hmm. I still think you need to come in with a good sense of here's, here's what we're doing, you yeah. know? Yeah. It, I mean, you you came up in what I consider to be one of the golden ages of just pure pop culture. And I, I can only imagine how that may have impressed upon you to become somebody, in, you know, as an actor or writer or just a creative. Was there a moment in time that you can look back and kind of say, wow, that was that was when I decided I wanted to 
you know, become an actor or become a creative. I know it wasn't E.T. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, <I laughs> I mean, know, maybe it was. I don't know. It's, sorry, I, BCC fans. I was terrified as, of E.T. as a child, but I was also fascinated by it. I watched it. You know, my parents kept taking me to the theater, even though it gave me nightmares. Um, but I think, therapy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if it worked, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah. The, I mean, I was like a kid of the 80s. So I was seeing, you know, all these Spielberg movies as they were coming out. And I remember, you know, Steven Spielberg, that was like a household name in my, you know, growing up. George Lucas, Star Wars, Harrison Ford, Tom Hanks, Steve Martin. I think Tom Hanks and Steve Martin as a kid, I'd watch those guys and be like, man, I want to uh, these I want to do what these guys are doing. And so there was always a general sense of I wanted to perform and my sister, who was about six years older than me, I would go see her school plays. And I remember watching them and being like, ah, I could do this, you know, like watching certain actors and being like, oh, I don't like the way they delivered this line. Or, you know, I'd be sort of like critiquing it and I would have this real neat, I just had this incense, in, 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 innate feeling of like, let me up there and let me, let me do this. You know, like I had that like just real pull to get up on stage in a way that, I certainly didn't have with sports, you know, and, and a lot of other things. I had no desire, but I really was drawn to to acting in that way. But I also like to write, you know, I was a kid who would just fill my journals up with stories and I liked to draw. And I thought my first job when I was a kid, I, I really wanted to be a Disney animator. Um, mm -hmm. And but once theater kind of took over, I sort of. Um, focus less on 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 drawing and focus more on on acting but I don't know I think with with film specifically because I always had a sense even doing theater growing up and going to school for theater I always knew that I wanted to come out and do film and tv and I think the moment in time that that really locked in for me was in high school around sophomore my sophomore year of high school, like I was really into Seinfeld. I was really into David Letterman. Friends came out. Uh, Pulp Fiction came out. My so-called life came out. My so-called life was like really mind-blowing because it was the first time I'd seen like a teen drama that like treated the characters like real people. And so there was just sort of this mix of like discovering a lot of mainstream stuff, obviously and going, gosh, this is what I want to do. I want to be in this world some somehow. You know, I didn't know if it was like being a talk show host or being a sitcom actor or being like a film actor. And and back then it felt like you really had to like pick pick a lane. And now it's, you know, now I kind of do all of it. You know, I'm sort of a talk show host doing my podcast and obviously work both in film and TV. And now I you know, work a lot in commercials just because you, you have to, to pay the bills. And um, so, but I think it was that, I think it was like mid, mid nineties, high school kid me. That was really when I was like, all right, this is what I knew that's, that's what I wanted, wanted to do. Probably somewhere halfway during a, a viewing of Pulp Fiction, I think <laughs> is probably when I went, okay, I'm in. <laughs> Um, is there a particular actor or actress that you, um, either admire their, their career and would like to have something similar or just at, as a performer, 
like their craft is really inspirational to you? Oh yeah, easy. I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I remember again, this is all around the same time. Like I went to see Twister in the theater and I was like, okay, this is a fun movie, but who is that guy? Cause I felt like I was like, I feel like this guy is playing a guy that I know, you know, it was a really he, like, he plays this character dusty. I just rewatched this movie over the 4th of July weekend too. And I remember he plays this character named dusty and um, he reminded me of two guys that I knew growing up. And it was a role that I felt like any other actor would have made like the sort of like douchey surfer bro. And there's a little bit of that in his take on this character, but he's just this really specific guy. And then not too long after that, Boogie Nights came out and I quickly became obsessed with Paul Thomas Anderson and all of those actors. So like William H. Macy and John C. Riley. Um, and then again, Philip Seymour Hoffman shows up as this like supporting character who's so specific and so great. And I just was like, I and 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 playing like the drama, but also playing it with this comedic sensibility. And I was like, ooh, this this I get. And this, you know, I, I felt like you didn't see a lot of that in film. And you know, it was either like broadly comic or broadly serious. And I felt like he and John C. Riley really walked that line so well. And I, those guys were like my heroes. You know, I remember going to see in college, going to New York to see them do True West, where they would trade wow. trade parts. And I, I saw those on back to back nights. And um, I would wait. You know, I was like one of those theater nerds. Like I waited for them to come out each night. I carry in my wallet. I don't have it near me, but I have a matchbook that I carry with me as a good luck charm. Uh, I I used to smoke cigarettes as a as a college kid. I don't anymore. <laughs> don't smoke. It sucks. But <laughs> I was waiting for Philip Seymour Hoffman to come out of the theater, and I was smoking a cigarette, and he came out, and he's like, "Hey, I'm Phil." And I was like, you were so good. And he's like, do you, do you have a light? And I was like, yes, I do. And I pulled out this like little shitty matchbook that I had taken from like a diner. And he lit a match from that matchbook and lit himself a cigarette. And we chit-chatted for a minute. And then, you know, said goodnight and he walked away. And I kept that matchbook and I still have it. Oh. And it's like, I was like, Philip Seymour Hoffman was the last person to, to light. <laughs> and and it was it was with me like in my early auditions out in LA I would take that match book oh. and I put it in my breast pocket or put it in my pocket and now I just carry it around in my wallet it's still there it's all you know it's flat and it's old and it's still you know but there's still matches in there um so that was like you know that was like a thing that I was like this is really That's special amazing. like you know so I was like really in awe of that guy yeah. and one of the and it was funny because I met him a couple times out here and in New York, never worked with him. And that's one of the biggest um, disappointments. You know, I mean, look, personally, that's me being selfish. I think like what a loss. But, you know, if there's one thing I could wish for, well, first of all, I'd want him to just be alive for the sake of him being alive. But <laughs> I would have just loved to work with him, you know, because he he is such a big, big uh I think he's probably my favorite actor, you know, mm. of all time. But, um, but yeah, all those guys, like I would, you know, I just, I would watch Boogie Nights and Magnolia and be like, God, wouldn't the, all I wanted was like, I just want to be in a company of, of, of actors like this. I want to get in 
with a director who brings back the same people mm. and we all all get to work together and play different parts and um so that was like that was also a huge influence on me it was like i want to go i god i want to get out to la and be a part of this did you uh ever get close to working with him on a pta project like the master or no i i, no. I, I the closest i got was i auditioned for i did audition for there will be blood and i auditioned for the the role i think it was eli the role that um Oh, that Paul Dano got? Paul Dano got. And it was a thing where it was funny. I met I met Paul Thomas Anderson. I did a pilot with Luis Guzman for Fox called Louie, which was like a victory and a and a defeat for me because it was the very first pilot I booked. I got through the pilot process and then the show got picked up and I got recast. They recast my and then but and then I went and did I, I went and did what I like about you. And then that show went on to get canceled. But um, Paul Thomas Anderson was at the taping for that. So I got to meet him there. And around that time, <clears throat> I auditioned for There Will Be Blood. And the casting director was really cool. And I felt really good about the audition. Still think I would have done a better job than Paul Dano. I know everybody <laughs> does but still have that competitive edge. <laughs> But I remember the feedback at the time. I was I was in my early 20s, but I was playing a lot of like 15-year-old, 16-year-old like high school kids still at that age because I looked really young. And they said the feedback I got was like they're probably going to cast an actual 15-year-old in this role. And then I remember like the character had an older brother that showed up for a couple scenes and I remember being like tell them keep me in mind for the for the older brother, you know, like looking back it's like michael they can do their job you know what i mean if they want you they'll call you but uh i don't think i was ever truly really close for by the way for any of this stuff but you know i got to audition for it and then they ended up casting i can't remember the actor's name but they did actually end up casting like a 15 year old kid in that part paul dano got cast as the brother and then the kid ended up not working out and after like a week or so of filming he was fired and PTA decided to do a little rewrite and make the brothers twins. And then he just mm-hmm. put Paul Dano into that, into that role. Um, but that was the, that was probably the closest. Hopefully I'll get other chances, but uh, you know, um, that would have been a cool movie to be in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, uh, well, as we wind down from the pandemic, maybe PTA has a couple projects up his sleeve and I'll go, you know yeah. what? Let's get that Michael McMillan guy that we have. I know. You know? Like- I know. Yeah, please, come on. I'm, I'm, I'm due. I'm putting in my, I'm put, putting in the work. Please. Is there a type of role that you haven't had a chance to play yet, but you would really like the opportunity to do so? Uh, well, let me see. That's a great, that's another good question. I mean, certainly you know, there are things, pop culture things now that are so big, like I want to be in a Star Wars movie. I want to be in a Marvel project. You know, I would love to play, you know, I haven't been able to play, you know, when I was a kid, I was like, I want to be Spider-Man. I want to play Peter Parker. You know, when I was younger, I was like, I actually, you know, I didn't look that much different than Tobey Maguire. Like, Mm -hmm. I think I would have made a good Peter Parker, but now like i'd love to play a supervillain in one of these things you know i yeah. really it's like i feel like it's just 
Like, why am I not? Like, come on, DC, Marvel, put me in as a villain. Like, why haven't I been able to do this yet? Um, so I'd like to do something like that. I think it'd be really fun to play uh, a real, you know, like a, a character based on a real person. I've always mm. wanted to do that and be able to unite like my research brain with my actor brain and like I'd love to do that play somebody based on someone in real life um and I think that would be that would be really cool um and then with Perry Mason I checked off a lit you know a bucket list thing of like doing a period piece you know for it was the first like period piece I got to do you know and I'd love to do more of that stuff yeah so I don't know there there's not like one specific role but there are types of things that I'd like to take a stab at but honestly just you know i always i think i'm like <laughs> infuse my agent sometimes because i'm like i just want to work i don't care just let me work like, on set, i'll do whatever honestly i just like to be on set working i mean i i don't know why i just thought of this it'd be really really cool a john cusack biopic from his you know yeah. like time in the mid 90s through to like yeah. high fidelity and serendipity that'd be really I'll, cool i'll play him during the ice storm how about yeah, that exactly. like, <laughs> the movie that nobody asked for <laughs> you know there are directors though still like my, my, you know tarantino pta yeah. the coen brothers i mean I, I like i'm like i am like please put me in a coen brothers movie like that's like my that's my wheelhouse you know there there are those things are like david lynch like some of these guys that like I God I want to work with so so bad and I feel like I get what they're doing, you know it's it goes back to me sitting in the theater uh, you know as a kid and go God just put me up there I I get it I get it let me do it I can I can I can get this. Oh man, I mean Tarantino has one more film hypothetically that he'll be doing, yeah. so you never know, right? I mean you're in you're in L.A. You're in the circuit. You can. It's true. You never know. You never know what can happen. Find some way in there. <laughs> I, uh, I I am curious too. Like, you know, obviously, Steph and I we live in Colorado. She works in theater, and I work in you know film and TV here or wherever they can outsource me to. Uh, I am curious to hear like, how is LA now that you know? I, I think they're the lockdown has alleviated right you guys aren't yeah you're not stuck inside the casting calls are going out things going up like crazy do you feel like the fact that they've dedicated their time to more self-tapes now is taking away from like the um i guess priority of being an la local or has that not really changed this is a conversation that all (laughs) my actor friends are having uh (laughs) i do think there are aspects so during during the pandemic uh, there were, uh, you know, there was a six month period where basically nothing was happening, obviously, you know, towards the beginning and middle of, but, but around, you know, early last, like September, October of 2020, things started to open back up with like really heavy COVID restrictions. And we're still living in, you know, I've been on a few sets, um, this year and, you know, it's, you're getting tested every day. You are, they're, 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 they're really on top of it. You're wearing masks, sometimes face shields, all that stuff. Um, but what happened was because we couldn't go into casting offices, um, you know, all of our auditions have been self tapes. And so that's you, uh, especially during a pandemic when you can't go someplace professionally, that's you, uh, you know, getting a friend to come call you over zoom, read lines as you like set up, you know, I never had a ring light or a tripod for an (laughs) iPhone, you know, like I have all that stuff now. 
I have neutral drapes that I replace my kitchen drapes with and I shoot in front of that. And um, it's a pain in the ass, but uh, I've gotten used to it. I think we're all kind of getting used to it. And self-tapes were something that was starting to happen more and more as well. Just the nature of the beast. I think producers have so much on their plate. They're less and less interested in seeing um, actors in the room. And also I feel like the nature of business has changed, especially in TV where when I started out, film actors like movie stars didn't really want to do TV. Um, and so the door was, uh, and people might disagree with me on this, but I feel like the door was more open to fresh faces, kids who had just come from theater school. Uh, the line, it was still hard to get in the room, but there wasn't as long of a like offer list to names. So it was, I don't want to say easier, but I think that it was more, it was a little bit more possible for someone with unknown or not a lot of credits. If they had a good agent, if they had, if they had a good audition could get booked in a big role, you know, like get, get a lead role on a pilot. And, I, and that still can happen. But now I think what's occurred is, landscape of tv has changed so much uh, the commitment the time commitment you know it used to be like if you signed up for a show you were signing up for 24 episodes and seven years or whatever it is and that's like you know that's nine months of your year so if you're a film actor like that gives you no time to do any other projects if you're a movie star and now series are like 10 episodes or six episodes and a lot of these streamers are like backing up truckloads of money for you know um, you know, Reese Witherspoon or Nicole Kidman or whoever to star in these projects. So I think there's this thing that then naturally, once a movie starts, it starts taking the lead roles, it kind of pushes everybody back a little bit. Um, and so a lot of roles that we're auditioning for now as actors, there's a long list of offers already set out. And sometimes you get the sense that your self-tape, even during a non-pandemic year, is just kind of backup. You know what I mean? If they, they got to get it, they got to dive into it if, if everybody passes and fewer and fewer actors are passing on this stuff these days. Um, so in some ways, even though there's more, I'm sort of digressing here, but it's, even though there's more, there are more TV shows happening I feel like it's, for me personally, it's felt like it's never been more competitive. Um, so this comes back around in the sense that I think self-tapes were like on their way and already starting to happen. And now with the pandemic, I think they're, they're kind of here to stay in a big, big way. Um, that doesn't mean that there's, that in-person casting is gonna go away. I don't think that'll ever go away completely but I think self tapes are going to start to become sort of like the main like baseline. Um, and I think it'll depend on casting office to casting office and project to project. But I, I feel like, okay, I got to get used to this. And now I'm really thinking, and I know like friends of mine are like really are like buying like good lighting equipment and, and like, you know, stripping a, down like a, a section of a wall in a room to be like, okay, this is my, this is my in-home studio now because I, I do not think that's going to go away. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the bummer about it is, I mean, there's trade-offs. The nice thing is if I have an audition now, 
uh, it does, you know, it used to be if I had to go out to Santa Monica, that was like my whole afternoon, you know, between traffic, parking, waiting, auditioning, you know, that just one audition could eat up an entire half day. Uh, and then you're sort of left with not a lot of energy to do other stuff, you know, like if you have a day job or if you're trying to write stuff or do other things. So it was like, it does save with a schedule, but I miss there's something about being in a room, you know, and I feel like I'm somebody who I bring a lot of good energy into a room. Um, and I think there's that that helps with casting sometimes and it helps with uh, getting feedback from a casting director immediately. Uh, you know, you can fix a mistake or you can make you can make a change that they that they're like, OK, we like this, but we want a version where you're coming at it from this angle. And with self-tapes, you can't really do that. You are putting yourself on tape, you're sending it out into the void, and you're hoping to hear something back. And occasionally I'll hear like, hey, we like that, but producers want to see this angle. And so you'll redo it. Um, but it's just not the same, you know? Yeah. So it's weird. It's, a, it's you know, it's just, it's, it's uh, this stuff is constantly, you know, the industry is constantly changing is what I'm learning. So you have to kind of, roll with it but the good news is if you're in colorado or if you're in atlanta or you're someplace else if you can manage to get an agent um wherever you're at it's a lot easier to audition and not have to be in la and so that's a really i've thought about that too it's like well i could move to a place where there's less overhead and rents cheaper and i could just audition this way and then fly in, you know, or drive two hours south and uh, and show up for work if I need to, you know. So it does kind of open things up in a really kind of exciting way. Whereas when I started, you had to move to New York, Chicago or or L.A. if you wanted to act. And now I think like if you can get access to auditions, you can really do it, do it from anywhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've been in this for 10 years now and that was the case until a few years ago and now i'm pretty good with not <laughs> not moving to la or new york yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things is like now you can really just move there if you have to you yeah. know and a lot of times like jobs in la like we'll get a job and then we have to move to atlanta or we have to move to wilmington south carolina or we have to move to new york or vancouver you know um it, you really are in la because it's where the business is mm. you know the 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 one thing that I'm eager and happy will be coming back, you know, we assume is there's still a social network out here in LA that you can't get other places. You know, there yeah. is something about being able to run into people in this town, like at a show or at a restaurant, or, you know, there's a way of keeping that living network alive um running into other actors at auditions for example and them going oh hey by the way i'm working on something would you be interested in reading this or checking this out so that's harder to keep that organic living network alive when you're spread across the country but you know as we've seen online and with zoom it is you know there is a way to keep in touch but i like that organic magic of running into people you know that in, in this town we're going to parties and being introduced to somebody, you know, so there's that there's that, there, you know, there's still a bit of that Hollywood magic still out here, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> there's also like, you know, 
it still sucks in a lot of ways too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what what is it about the job as a, of actor um, that like makes that kind of stuff worth it to you? You know, the frustrations, the the changes, the whatever. What is it about the job that really makes it worth it? It's because when I'm on, when I get a job and I'm on set, it's the best. Yeah. It really is. You know, assuming you're on a good set on a good project, which I've been lucky enough that typically I am. It's, 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 there's, it's so fun. And it, it is, you know, I spend, the struggle is where I'm at in my career. Um, I'm lucky that I have made a living since I moved out to LA for the most part, just, just acting you know, and doing a little bit of writing stuff on the side. Um, but even then, I am not acting more, way more calendar days out of the year than I am acting, you know. And that is the real mind fuck for mm -hmm. me, which is now a lot of those days, most of those days are spent with auditioning or thinking about acting or looking for work or hustling in other ways or that's why I do a podcast because I wanted something that I can make that we could release every week and feel like I'm at least creating something you know um but that's the that's the hard part and that's that's a thing that I've had to wrap my brain around and struggle with that's like you know I, I go to therapy that's something that comes up in therapy a lot where I will sort of like shame myself sometimes and be like, what are you doing? Why, how is it that you are spending more time not doing your job than doing your job, you know? And, and there are times when that's not a, a creative struggle. That's also a financial struggle. You start to sweat with like, shit, man. I mean, like, you know, I got to pay bills here. I got to keep this gravy train going because half the time it is not a train and it's not full of gravy. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of people, you know, they assume they see you on TV and you're like, Oh, this guy must be a millionaire or this guy must be rolling. It's not the case. Mm -hmm. It's like those jobs that I get that pay well, they're paying for me for all of those months that I don't work. Yeah. And it's a constant, you know, one of my actor friends is like, I am tired of, constantly uh facing a financial falling off a financial cliff you know what yeah. i mean so oh my god <laughs> especially in a city where rent keeps going up living expenses keep going up it's a stress it's stressful and when people talk about rejection and the stressful part of being an actor they're talking they're talking about that and you know and then i have but i'm lucky because i do book those jobs and i have friends out here that have been like busting their asses and working day jobs and like, you know, maybe work one thing every five years, you know, mm -hmm. it's wild. Yeah. It's a, it's wild, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, um, I don't even remember the, what the exact question <laughs> that makes was. it worth it. <laughs> well, I guess what it is, is it, it's a, it's constantly changing. You know, you're constantly, one thing for me, like I said, is it's like once I book a job, I go, yes, you know, but I think you are constantly resetting that bar doing mm. this. You are constantly. And as I get older, too, I go, is this still worth it? Is the anxiety of not knowing when the next job is going to happen worth 
worth all the, you know, is it worth like the times you do book a job? Is it worth it? And it's something that you constantly have to check in with yourself because I think there's a weird thing that actors do. I mean, every actor I think does, which is when once we decide, okay, we're going to go do this, we latch onto that dream and then we are constantly living under the oppression of that dream from that point on you're going have i have i achieved my dream uh well i can't quit yet because the dream hasn't happened or like okay that this is part of the dream the part of the dream is happening and there it's it is this sort of delusional beast that you have to create to make the leap to come do this stuff And then constantly that dream, that concept of that dream is either being rewarded, that beast is either being fed or it's being starved, you know, and sometimes abused, (laughs) you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. As you go through. And I've hit a point, I think lately, I would say in the past couple of years, and I think the pandemic actually helped accelerate this where I was sort of like, okay, fuck the dream. Let's just let's just like make a living doing this and be okay with making a living doing this and, and, and be like, let's just try to make sure that we're, you know, let's keep a low overhead. Let's just make sure that we're paying the bills every month. And and if we, if I can just do that, then that is a huge success in any big job or big thing or big series or big role that comes on top of that is just gravy. And I've, I've sort of had to be okay with, not lowering the bar, but realizing that the fact that I've been able to make a living doing this in LA and only this for the most part uh, is a huge, huge success in and of itself. And I may not be exactly where I want to be at 42. You know, I remember there was a time I was in my early 20s where I was like, if I'm still auditioning at 40 i don't want to do this anymore you know what i mean you're like a cocky kid and you're just like i don't want to i don't want to be like 40 and auditioning and then you realize that like 40 is a lot younger than you thought it was and comes a lot quicker and um at you know at 40 i'm working less than i did when i was 25 and that can also be something to struggle with but uh but i'm still working i'm still making it happen you know and so i think you have i think i just kind of hit that level where i was like it's a war now what makes it worth it is if i don't have to work a day job if i can just Mm -hmm. keep doing this and accepting this is the job this is the thing this is going to be the thing where you're going to stress a lot and be unemployed for most of the year sometimes and you know it and then you, you just have to accept it it really is and then i think there's like a really peace there's a really like nice powerful peace in accepting that and going you know because i also did the other thing where i started working i was like oh man i i i don't have to work i have friends that like work like nine to five and like in corporate gigs and and i felt guilty that i didn't have to do that you know so it's Uh even when you're even when you're like yeah i don't have to work (laughs) you still deal with a weird level of shame and guilt especially if you come from like midwestern stock like i do because you have to you have this sense of like, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve, I, who do I think I am that I think I, I don't have to work a day job, you know? Um, And it's not that that's all, that's all BS that you feed yourself. You just have to kind of be like, well, that's the job. That's the way this job works, you know? And I, and I think I would just say 
when you hit your limit and you feel like you've hit your limit and you want it, you're done and you want to move on, there's no shame in that, you know? And mm-hmm. I think a lot of actors hold on to that dream because they feel embarrassed if they don't get what they want or what they went out for. But like, it's totally fine. This is a really, yeah. really, really, really hard career path. You know, you're, you're, you know, as soon as you get hired, you're fired. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, just did, I just did a, I just, yep. did, a, I, just did, I did two jobs this past month and that was a busy month for me. One was a guest star and one was a commercial. They both worked one day. And so you, you're, you're working on it. you you get the job, you do the job for a day. And then by the end of the day, you're out of a job, <laughs> you know? So it's just like, I get fired all the time, whether it's a recasting of a pilot when I'm a young man, or it's just, you know, I'm hired to do this one thing, you know, it sucks, but yeah. <laughs> it's the job. Definitely. Yeah. That, that makes me feel much more comfortable about personally in my experiences, you know, this last spring I was, for the first time ever pinned for a really big show and it was so cool. close for a month and a half. And then I get the, yeah, you're not going to get it, but they'll keep you in mind for anything else. Like, Son of a bitch. That <laughs> happens to me all the time now. In fact, like I almost, I'm almost at the point where I want to tell my manager, which of course they can't do this because they got to give you a heads up schedule wise, yeah. you know, but I'm, I almost want to be like, just don't tell me if I'm pinned because you know, half the time you don't, you know, you end up being released and pinned pinned for people listening. It's like that. That's, that's when casting gives you a heads up that you are probably one of two people that might be getting this role or like they're, they're waiting for the other person that they actually want for the job to say yes or no, (laughs) but they've got you pinned and they're saying, Hey, tell your client not to leave town or book any other job. Or if he books any other jobs, let us know, but we'd like to pin him, like put a pin in him for these dates. And then um, sometimes it works out. A lot of the times it doesn't. Yeah. It's a, it's a very, (laughs) it's a very humble industry, which Mm -hmm. is why, I uh, I want to ask you: Do you have a uh, a like a favorite party story, a, par- a share- story you share at a party of something that was just so incredulous that happened to you on a set or a film project, whether it was a, a great outcome, really funny story, or a bad outcome and a really funny story? <laughs> <laughs> oh my! I don't know. Oh, so I'm bad with these because I always feel like. I know there is one, but I'm like looking up the top of my head. Like, give me like what what like give me an example. So, see if it'll... Uh, so for example, um, I went to a SAG lunch at Sundance for the first film I was in, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize I was urinating next to Matt Bomer. And <laughs> I went to college with Matt Bomer. <laughs> see, nice. yeah, exactly, exactly, and. Uh, I didn't say a single clear word as I washed my hands. And he said, hey, man, it's your first time. Hey, make sure you have some fun. This is a great time. Hey, enjoy your, like, sweetest right. guy ever. And I just said, oh, oh he's <laughs> the nicest. <laughs> Thank you. I just <laughs> completely fell apart. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, I feel like I'm always, like, showing my hand when it comes to, like, working with people that you know i admire and i'm trying to think like i'm sure i've made a a fool out of myself a million times so there was one i do remember early on this is really early i was auditioning and i'm a comic book nerd and and it was for a project that was written by a guy who wrote a bunch of the x-men comics named scott lobdell and um 
I came in, I did the audition and, and, and I was there for the audition, but the whole time, like I actually just wanted to talk comic books with him. And I remember thinking like, Oh, if I let him know that, that I, that I uh, read comics, maybe it'll like, he'll like me more and he'll like bump me up the list. And so I think I like did an okay audition. This is the other thing is it's always, you always make these mistakes like after you've done something sort of mediocre <laughs> and it's never like you nail it. And then, and then you like top it off with a cherry. It's always, you always seem to get, cause usually when you nail something, you're like, great, get out of here. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> always seems, these things always seem to pop up when you're like, I, I have not earned this moment. So I did the audition. And I remember like I waited until the very last minute. They're like, okay, goodbye. And on the way out, I was like, Hey man, uh, I really like your comic work. And he's like, Oh, thank you. And then I, I remember like, I wanted to like land like a Stanley level, like zinger. And I was like, you, uh, you keep right. Uh, you keep reading, you keep writing them and I'll keep reading them. Like I said something <laughs> so stupid like that and stumbled over it, like got the words switched around. And I remember just like him in the casting, just like looking at me like, goodbye. What do you, you know, just like, like I thought, I, like why? And I remember just instantly regretting that. I remember being like, why did I fucking say that? Like, that was so, like, it was like a make mine Marvel kind of like, you know, yep. I might as well just shout it Excelsior on the way out of the door. Like it was so stupid and not worth it like not not worth it for the job not worth it as a personality you know and i just remember walking out, i was like i'm i'm i just completely done. bombed that whole i'm done yeah and never you know never heard anything back and that project didn't go anywhere anyway but like okay. i have had stuff like that where i'm just like a stuttering blabbering idiot and i think like you know it's kind of like walking up to a cute girl being like, hey hey and then you're just like oh this is dumb what's coming out of my mouth you know <laughs> But I think if anyone you're going to embarrass yourself in front of Matt Bomer is one of the best people to do it. Oh, he was, he was so gracious. He's the nicest person in the world. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I've, I've never left a restroom that happy in my entire life. Like, holy (laughs) shit. (laughs) I was within touching distance of Matt Bomer and that was very inappropriate. Um, I mean, look, at least you, cause you know, he's been in a bathroom where like the guy next to him probably has reached out and touched his shoulder or has like, peaked you know what i mean like he's probably met some real creeps in bathrooms before you know what i mean so yeah I'm sure, I'm sure you were you were far from that well it it does uh i think our listeners will find some heavy comfort in knowing that everybody has that paul rudd i love you man moment at least a few times in their career where they don't know what to say at the very end of it but they feel like they have to say something right it's gonna sound so cool <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah exactly and it never it never ever ever does those moments don't don't play that, out keep that writing way them. i'll keep reading them yeah, yeah, <laughs> <That's so> <laughs> but i think i even said you keep reading them i'll if you keep like i had to go back and correct myself i was like that's awesome God, I, it, so stupid. I do no. i do love that like it, it's my brother likes to listen to this podcast and he always is it talks about like, how do you not get flushed when you're talking to these actors, these people or whatever. And I, there are very few people. And I think it's because I'm a stage manager and not an actor. And so like my job is different and I have to treat people kind of the same and get shit done. Um, and so I don't really tend to get very flustered when I meet super famous, but it's so fun here. Like, even though you're in the business, there's 
always someone that you would just rule over if you were to run into them and oh yeah and you know i'm trying to think like i remember i did a uh oh i did an audition for an nbc pilot years ago where it was Patton oswalt was on it was a pilot that didn't get picked up but it was um matthew broderick Lauren Michaels was producing and I like Patton Oswalt had gotten fired from this role and I loved Patton Oswalt. Like I was a huge fan of Patton's and um, I, I went into the audition at like one in the afternoon and at four o'clock I got a call. They're like, okay, they want you to test. And I had to fly out to New York on a red eye and like go straight to 30 Rockefeller Center, go straight up to the offices on no sleep and do this audition. Like, and it was, I was like reading with Matthew Broderick, Kristen Johnson was there cause she had also been cast in the pilot. Lauren Michaels was there. And I, again, like no sleep, got 12 new pages of script to learn on the plane I was sitting at the what? back of the plane, center seat. There was another actor that I knew who was also being flown out. And we were just like, what the hell? We basically got got off the plane, got to the hotel, had enough time to like drop off our bags and maybe brush our teeth. And then we were like sent straight into. And in retrospect, it's like, guys, I know you're in a hurry here, but this is not the way to get your actors you know to be in the best shape for this audition so i remember like strolling in and here i am like meeting matthew broderick and lauren michaels i i am almost you know i'm like delirious on no sleep i'm trying to remember these new lines and i remember in the scene so one of the scenes took place in a car i'm like driving driving him around and i uh and I remember like, okay, I can't mime driving, pantomime driving the steering wheel. And I, 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 and like, I need to like hold, I need to look at these lines because they were brand, you know, they were brand new lines. So it was like more on script than I wanted to be. So I remember like in the moment being like, okay, I will pantomime like pulling the car over, putting the car in a park and then turning and talking, talking to him. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so... I was like, they'll get that. You know, this is a choice that I'm making in the moment. So I'm like driving and then I'm like, I got it. I can't do it. So I was like, pull, pull over, pain of my pulling, parking, and then looking at him. And then I felt also like it was on a beat where I was like playing up the intensity and talking to him. And the driver was like, no, 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 stop, stop. We got to go back. You're driving the car. You can't let go of the wheel of the car. And I was like, no, I know. I, I Didn't you see me pantomime parking the car and like parallel parking it? <laughs> you know, so I was like, I have no, I'm not on any sleep. <laughs> I'm on no sleep here and not the way I wanted to meet Matthew Broderick or Lauren Michaels. And of course, oh. like walked out of the, you know, didn't get the part, you know, and then they were like, okay, get back on a plane. And I was like, wait, what? I don't even get to sleep in this hotel room. <laughs> you know oh. what I mean? Oh, no. Fortunately, my agent stepped in. They're like, no, 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 no. You are. They were like, no, the hotel was for last night. I was like, I was on a plane last night. Why even book me a hotel? You know? So, uh, 
it was one of those things where my agents were like, no, 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 you're, you're letting, you're letting him stay a night in the hotels and he'll fly back yeah. tomorrow. You oh know? my God. So there's like, I remember that, you know, and I remember watching my buddy walk out of that room right ahead of me and he just looked shell shocked, you know, and I was oh, like, no. it's like, Oh God, what am I walking into here? <laughs> Um, by the way, Matthew Broderick, super nice guy. Lauren Michaels, super nice guy. Everybody was nice, but it was just one of those like situation. Just set. It was so set up to fail in that oh. situation to fly all the way out to New York. And, and you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to meet these like really famous people and powerful people. And then you're just like, you know, feel like, you know, shit doing it. It's no, no fun. <laughs> Oh well, on that's on... where I want Zoom auditions to like take over. That's where you need, <laughs> yeah, right. And a self tape. Yeah, that's even Zoom callbacks now are just as awkward as. Oh no, no, wait. Uh, we need you to do this other thing. But <sighs> okay, all right. I'm not getting this, but we'll do. Uh, yeah. we'll do our best. Yeah. Uh, speaking on that, do you have any advice for you know? It could be somebody who wants to be an actor, or someone who's trying to get into the arts. Do you have any advice for them that you wish to pass on? Um, I, yeah, I mean, the thing that I always think of is there, just remember, there's no one way. There is no, there is not one exact way to get into this and be successful. If there was, everybody would do it. And you kind of have to, it's the thing that I constantly remind myself. This is a, this is a career path where you will constantly be comparing yourselves to where other people are at. Social media makes that so easy to do now. Um, there are people like Matt Bomer that I went to college with who you're just like, my God, this guy's on fire. You know what I mean? Just work, 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 work. And you think if I was only working as much as, as Matt, you know, I'd be, I, I wouldn't be stressed about this stuff anymore. And I'm sure that Matt has his own stresses and his own career goals and all this stuff. It, it, it's you're constantly again, moving that bar around, but don't do that shit. Don't fall into that trap. Just remember there's no one way. And you'll figure that out because they're going to be people that you go to college with. They're going to be people that you meet out here. I have, I have met in my 15, 19, 19 years now out here. I have met um, like waiters and bartenders and coffee shop people that are now like directing episodes of TV or starring in their own shows. And, you know, people that, uh, you know, like anything can happen. You know, if you just stay committed to it and you work hard, um, you never know. You know, I have like, I have classmates that you're like, oh, I don't know if this is like their thing. And then they end up being, you know, executive producers or working at a network, you know, that you're, who are in the position of hiring you now. So not one way. And also, you know, just this is good advice for being a decent human being, but don't take people for granted, you know, uh, be nice to people, mm -hmm. establish healthy working relationships with people because you never know, you know, who you might be collaborating with on a project and uh, don't underestimate people in this business. You know, there will be people that you're thinking they don't have a shot in hell. And then they, you know, they're on the other end of an audition room, you know, like it just happens, you know, um, and it happens differently for everybody. But I think just consistency yeah. and sticking with it and knowing there's not one way and grabbing those opportunities when you can is, is key. Yeah. Awesome. That's, that's paramount. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have anything that you want to promote that we can share 
um, on your behalf and stuff? Sure. Uh, well, let's see. Um, when is this coming? This is coming out soonish. This will yeah. be coming tomorrow, out. right? Oh, yeah. Good. I I close the bar tonight, and then <laughs> it'll be uploaded. <laughs> Great. Um, so uh, I'm on a, I'm in a, I show up in a movie that's playing on Netflix right now called Good on Paper by Eliza Schlesinger and directed by a very talented friend of mine, Kimmy Gatewood. Um, so check that out. I don't have a major role, but I have a fun part in it. Um, you can see that. Uh, you can subscribe to Bigfoot Collectors Club on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes coming out every Wednesday. And then we also have a Patreon called BCC The Other Side where you get three to five bonus episodes every month, uh, $5 a month. Uh, so you're supporting the show and getting exclusive bonus material. So check that out. And then um, follow me uh, on my Instagram, at McMills, um, particularly because, and this is, a, this is an exclusive for you guys, uh, I'm going to start opening up and doing some audition coaching. So if there's any Ooh. actors out there... I've always loved to teach. I've always loved to work with actors. I've been working with a lot of friends during this year, during the pandemic, and I really enjoy it. And I thought, you know, especially with all the Zoom stuff and self-tapes, I thought this would be a good time to pass on some, you know, some stuff. So I, I'm, I, ha I don't have all that stuff set up yet, but uh, I'm in, the, I'm in uh, the process of, of starting all that stuff. So follow me at McMills, M-C-M-I-L-L-Z-Z. -Z, and I will I will be announcing all that information and how to get a hold of me and book stuff with me uh, there in the next few weeks. So keep Amazing. an eye out. Amazing. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That, that's great to hear. I'm like, I'm Tyler's going to be up. your first person. Hey. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, it's just like, there's so many, you know, I think now with these self-tapes, especially there's, a, you know, I've, I have so many friends that are like, help me, help me yeah. do this. And, I, and I've obviously requested the same thing. So... I think it's going to be easier to coach people and uh, get people to just have a good self tape or be able to walk into a room, a room with choices made. And then, and then hopefully in a secure place where the director goes, okay, great. Let's do something completely different. You can kind of switch on a dime, you know? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, Michael, thank you. This was really great. Yeah, um, thanks, it's man, always fun to talk to people and you, you know what? I, I love that you have a podcast because I feel like you had your podcast voice on this whole time and it was really, <laughs> <laughs> it was just so easy to listen to you. <laughs> oh, good. Thanks. Yeah, see, you do stuff, it, you know, it starts to pay off after a while. The early yeah, episodes right? of Bigfoot Collectors Club, I'm all, you know, I don't know. You go through phases. You're, you yeah. know, like our podcast is like, there, it wanes between, oh, I feel this is really tight and professional. And then there are times where I'm like, this is off the rails and I don't know where this is going. But <laughs> Those <laughs> yeah, are the best episodes. For us. <laughs> yeah. Those are the ones that people either love the most or we get the most hate for. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're, I, I, we're, um, we're about four years behind, so we're slowly learning as well. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> I know, but we're, we're getting close to that one year marker I'm, I'm getting excited congratulations close. um speaking of which uh Steph it is your spiel time oh it's my spiel time uh well uh so I started off with 
thanking our wonderful listeners. Um, we love being able to provide this podcast for you. Um, and the feedback we get is really, really helpful. Um, so with that in mind, um, if you haven't subscribed to us on whatever podcast platform you're using, please do so. Uh, we would also really, really appreciate any ratings and reviews that you can send us. Um, we do have a little incentive of uh, sending you a sticker. Um, if you leave us a nice review, you just have to email us at pwrppod at gmail.com um, to let us know you rated and reviewed us and we'll send you a sticker as a thank wow. you. Listeners, uh, that is way more than we we give anybody who gives us a five-star review. Like, right? We well, we got to start it. somewhere, man. Well, we're, we're promising if, if we get 1,000 five-star reviews, we'll record a special episode, uh, the BCC Jet Ski Special. So oh, that's yes. Awesome. <laughs> honestly, if I were a listener, I'd take a sticker. That's, that's great. Right? Oh, you get a sticker uh, too, Mike. Yeah, I mean, you're going to get the sticker for sure. Fantastic. Well, um, and I'll put a five-star review up. Aw. Um, but also, uh, follow us on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram um, at PWRP Post. Uh, we, you know, put up little info about all of our, our guests every week. Um, and we also have a Patreon. Um, we don't have as many fancy things as BCC, but that's okay. Um, you know, we're still... We're still trying to figure out how this this is going. Now and, you're um, but we I told you, don't compare yourself to other people. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, but yeah, any if you have some extra extra dollars lying around and you want to support us, uh, we'd really appreciate that as well. Yes. Tyler. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, yes, if you are someone who is working in the arts industry currently or someone who has an interest and is trying to make their way into this crazy world and journey that we're all navigating please email us at pwrp.pod at gmail.com and we will get back to you right away and see if we can schedule a chat uh at this point we're both working a, a little bit so it might take us a little longer than 90 seconds to get back to you but we will get back to you nonetheless and yeah i think at this point we have our super awesome awkward goodbye which michael i don't think you know what this is but essentially a countdown Wayne's world style. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. We just do a silent countdown and then the most awkward goodbye you can leave off on. Are you ready? Okay. Hey, if you uh, keep reading, uh, um, if you keep writing them, I'll keep, I'll keep reading them. <laughs> <laughs>